You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Good evening and welcome to M Pavilion 2021, a pavilion that's been nearly two years in the design and making of, and it's so exciting to be into our first week of M Talks. Before we start tonight, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we meet tonight, the people of the Eastern Kulin Nations, the Boonwurrung, Bunurung, and the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people and acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to pay particular acknowledgement to Auntie Carolyn Briggs and Deborah Cheatham, two people who have been incredible collaborators of ours in, in the eight years that pavilion has been running. And I'm sure we would all agree that the sense of reconciliation is getting closer and closer and I really look forward to this summer as we all reconnect, seeing another amazing summer here and the Pavilion, more events and conversations and, and celebrations about our First Nations culture. So tonight, I'm also really excited that the Urban Design Forum, the Urban Design Forum, I understand, has been going for 30 years, but this is a resurgence and it's here and it's exactly the sort of conversation that we're built for and you've all come. So thank you so much. This is a great moment to celebrate. I'm looking forward to hearing what is going to go on. Hello? Yes. Thank you, Sam. Now that Sam's done that, I guess I've got nothing else to say, really. <laughs> Sam brought the energy. Yes. Um, my name is Tava, and it's so nice to see everyone here today. I, I don't know when was the last time there were this many people in, in one space, so it's very exciting. Thank you. Welcome. Good to see you in your jackets, because, you know, it is Melbourne, after all. That's great. So... Wow, look at all those faces, amazing. Well, thank you, Sam, for having us, and um, thank you, Anne Pavilion, for having us. Anyway, um, very exciting to see everyone back in cultural heart of the city. So, this place close to the banks of Birurang has been a meeting place for a very long time. So, I too acknowledge collectively the traditional owners of the land, the Bunwurrung, Bunwurrung, and Wurundjeri, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay respect to the elders past, present and emerging whose sovereignty has never been ceded. So tonight we're here to discuss what cities need now. So today the Urban Design Forum is under a new management. So it's very exciting. <laughs> new people taking on the show, y'all. So that's very exciting. Um, so I thought I might just cook quickly point out the, the new management. <laughs> so we have um, a joint president role. We have Leanne Hoddle. There we go. And Maggie McKay, the president. And the vice president is um, Catherine Sunderman. 
I think she's behind here, yep. Catherine Sanderman, lots of energy. And, um, and in, um, in advocacy, we have Andy Fergus, who's, who's born for this role, I reckon. So there we go. Andy, keep people honest, yep. Very exciting. Um, so I've, I've got this um, list here. They're in size 12 points. So if I miss anything, <laughs> Catherine will, you know, point me from the set. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So um, I thought I'll just quickly frame today's conversation and then um, we can go from there. Um, given everything that the pandemic had brought to us in the last 18 months, um, us not being able to be with our family and friends. And um, I honestly thought the Zoom would be a phase. <laughs> and then someone told me, you can click on the touch up function in Zoom. <laughs> and I thought, who's gonna do that? It was 18 months of touch up to the maximum. <laughs> That's what it was for me. But anyway, by the end of it, I thought, listen, <laughs> I don't want to see anyone's face in a tiny little screen. So I'm really glad that, that we're here in, in, in real, yeah. So today's, <laughs> I know, it was a bit like that, wasn't it? Was it a bit like that for you, Sally? Oh, there you go. She's with me. Yeah, okay. So uh, tonight we asked the question, um, what do cities need now? I've got now on bold and underlined. So today we are not here for this big picture conversation. We are here for really, what can we do now? Off the shelf um, solution. So we've got this fantastic um, panelist today who's gonna kickstart the first public conversation that Urban Design Forum have organized for us. And so, um, Introducing our panellists in order to tackle this question. So we have this amazing panellist in front of us um, who each bring a different approach in terms of understanding our challenges but critically in terms of concrete solutions that are available to us now. So they all, you would know them all, so I'm not going to read their bio. I'm sure you researched them to death when the advertisement went up, right? Yeah, I mean, nobody turns up anymore with that doing a Google. Um, so, such is the importance of um, active citizenship, Emma Telfer, the role of prototype to push innovation, Stephen Choi, and the role of government to support changes with Sally Cap. So, I've assigned each of you. Um, but before we, we, we begin, we would like these to be as inclusive as possible. So you have a QR code. I think we're sitting on the QR code, goodness. Scan that QR code and it's not. That's for Slido and, um, and, and, I, and, and that question will come to my iPad and we can ask the question at the... Um, towards the end of the conversation. So make it snappy, because if it's too long, I'm just gonna bypass it. <laughs> make it snappy, y'all, yeah. And make it as, you know, intrusive as possible to our panelists. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, so look up Slido and then we have a poll to start. Do you feel optimistic about the future of Melbourne? And then feel free to add any question as the conversation go along. There's a good chance I may not even read it, but yeah, feel free to, yeah. Oh, we're so optimistic. We want people back. Sally's here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with Stephen, Stephen Choi, because Stephen's on fire. The last time I saw Stephen, he had lots to say. So you would know, Steve, who here have been to the um, Burwood Brickworks? Just clap. There we go. So Stephen's your man. Yep. Apparently, Catherine went to school with Stephen. It's really, okay, it's really amazing. Okay, <laughs> okay, Stephen, now that we got, know about your school lineage, <laughs> yes. Um, what should our priorities be post-COVID in terms of how our cities are built and govern? Give it your best shot. Take a deep breath. Anytime. I don't know. What was the question again? <laughs> I was going to repeat it. Here it is. Uh, hello? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. What should our priorities be post-COVID in terms of how our cities are built and governed? Probably the same as pre-COVID, which was what would it be like in the future if it was a, a dream future and to do all those things now? What does dream future look like? Well... It depends on who you are. So when you say, you know, what should our yeah. thing be, it depends on who we are. Okay. Who's Stephen Choi? Start with that. Oh, with me? Yeah, man. Just to clarify, I was only here to bring some gender diversity to the panel. It's just... <laughs> now it comes out. He's we... playing the gender card. No, we know... We know what you feel yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. and Sally gets wheeled out for these all the time. She's got that card. You totally. play your own. No, yeah. it's fine. Look, it's just when you ask a male what we should do about our cities and the built environment, we haven't had the opportunity to, you know, shape it, you know, in history. So, actually, why, I guess what I'm saying... It, <laughs> the accent should give away the sarcasm. Oh, so what? Okay. So, <laughs> seriously though, I think um, we need um, really good examples of what good could look like. Yeah. You know, I look at the city and I think I don't want to see more glass boxes. Yeah. Um, and why, Feel free to clap at any yeah. time. Yeah. But why don't I want to see glass boxes? Um, not because they're glass and not because, you know, that they're damaging the environment and, you know, destroying biodiversity and so on. But because they're not very human and the less human we are, I think the less able it is for us as a species, as a community, to actually decide what it is we want. I mean, I look around here and I'm thinking... Well, I wish I couldn't see everyone's face because it would make me less nervous. But the, I, I look around here and I'm thinking, how many people have come here, not just because who we are right now and what we're talking about, but because they want to connect. We want to connect with each other. Why, if this was online tonight on Zoom, how many of you would have logged in to watch it and stayed at home instead? Zero people. <laughs> yeah. So I think um, post-COVID 
it was a time and still is a time to rediscover who we are as a community, as a society, as individuals. I think everyone's had differing challenges and different abilities to reflect in their own work, in their own personal lives, in their professional lives. I have an architectural background, for example. I don't want to work on any buildings that are going to make the climate change in a way that's negative. I don't want to work on buildings that's going to make species go extinct, you know. And so that is what I'm thinking always now. And from this point onwards, you can apply that same thought I do to every single choice that I make. What were you thinking when you studied architecture? I love Lego. <laughs> and um, uh, this is true. Um, but um, actually, my, um, my parents grew up in quite um, what they call, in their words, third world um, environment. And um, it was very unusual for someone um, in their uh, world to be able to shape the built environment, you know, formally. Yeah. But they did it a lot informally. Mm. And when you see uh, the impacts of, you know, the way that many people in the world live and the impacts it has on people in those environments, you just cannot close your eyes and keep going that way. Mm. Um, we saw during COVID that even at the height of COVID with, you know, the least movement, the least travel, the least um, consumption of lots of things, we are still nowhere near being able to reverse the trends that we've um, been on. And I think for all of us, that means really fundamentally rethinking what we're doing. I think I'm going to let Stephen go and take a breather with that one. <laughs> I'm going to turn to Emma. Um, do you want me to read the question? No, no, no. I, I think I've got it. Um, yeah. I guess to follow on from Stephen, the idea of... Um, you know, remembering that we are human and the idea of connection has been something that I've been thinking about a lot pre, during and post-COVID. And I think what I would like to see in the future of the city is really um, a city which is compassionate and really cares for, for, for people and also for non-human species as well and considers that as we move through the climate catastrophe that we are moving through. So... Yes, Melbourne needs to become a climate leader, global climate leader. We have to be brave and we have to be bold. But at the same time, we have to prepare for what the future is going to be. And it is one where we are going to be obviously experiencing some pretty um, horrific uh, situations and, and, and climate moments. And so how do we become a city which really cares deeply about the comfort um, and uh, the safety and, uh, and security of, of of all citizens. And in the in the vision that I put out in the, I think was put out in the social media for the Urban Design Forum was about um, David, the the man who is experiencing homelessness in Carlton Gardens, who I speak to on a regular basis. So he has reminded me on a daily basis about the individual, bringing it down to things that are tangible to, to kind of understand and, and you've sort of put to perimeter around the magnitude of the issues that we're facing around climate change and inequality. And David is pretty extraordinary, actually. He sits there on a daily basis. He is experiencing homelessness. He does say to me it's sort of by choice. He doesn't really like people, even though he talks to all of the dog owners in, in Carlton Gardens. 
Um, but he's there on a daily basis only when the weather, though, is just right. So if it's too cold, he has to go to the movies and he spends his entire day at the movies, at the cinema, using the facilities and watching Bond on repeat. I couldn't think of anything worse, but... <laughs> He endures. Um, and then, you know, if it's too hot, he uses the the air conditioning vents that come out of, of Carlton Gardens. They're not designed for this um, from the museum. They're pumping out cold air, which is another, you know, terrible kind of climate consideration. But they're there for him to cool down and, and be comfortable. And I think about him in the city now, but also in the future. And it's like that that's how he manages his day is through being very um, opportunistic and, you know, really quite kind of crafty in the way that he can make himself comfortable. So how does our city ensure that we are providing meaningful uh, respite and, and shade and, and permanent shelter for, for our citizens? Um, and so I think part of the way that we can work towards that is how we encourage active citizenship, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, mm. shortly. But how do we actually encourage everybody? And this is obviously more of an industry-weighted audience, but how do we encourage every citizen, every Melbourneian to recognise that they have a part to play in advocating for better outcomes? But also how do we reassure them that their, their vote or their um, participation counts and actually does mean something? So I think there's a number of ways to encourage that, but that, that's what I would like from the future city. All class. Emma Telfer. When I grow up, I want to be like Emma Telfer, but that's another thing. So now we go to our... Do we call you Lord Mayor? Sally. Call your excellency. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to Sally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the same question to you, Sally. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, Hello, We've had Sally. some great responses so far, so I'm going to build on those rather than repeat them. Uh, and I too acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people whose land we're gathered on this evening and pay respects to elders past and present. And I think that ancient culture is also something we can embrace as we go forward. But I'm going to stay sort of on, uh, on the strict part of the question and, and add a few more thoughts in. One of the things that we're really thinking about at Town Hall uh, following COVID is how our spaces can be more flexible because we've got a lot of spaces that are really dedicated to one sort of use. And as we now go through this massive transition that's happened as a result of COVID, we're looking at redundant spaces, which is not just a shame, it's almost a crime, isn't it, in terms of how challenging it is to, uh, to adapt. So I think flexibility of spaces as we go forward is really important. I guess attached to that is something that our team, and there are a lot of people here from the City of Melbourne tonight, you can grade me later, uh, is around mixed use. Uh, we, we look at each of these buildings separately, but each building is an organism in its own right and then it plays a part in the environment that is the city. So how do we build in more mixed use? And that fits really nicely with flexibility uh, and goes a lot to our livability and placemaking and all of those elements. Uh, which brings me to the uh, what's happening at the human scale. What do people experience on the street? And what is that public realm environment? And how does that interact with uh, the private 
project and how do we have more porous interactions and really put a focus on investment in those spaces and what's happening at a ground level. And I lived in Docklands for two years and I can tell you nobody was thinking about that uh, in Docklands and now we're trying to, to retrofit. Which brings me to the last point, because I can talk forever, so I'm just going to leave it at that, uh, which is... I'm getting the wind up, am I? Oh. Uh, uh, which uh, is uh, to uh, a common theme, I think, in what's already been said, and that is what is the legacy that we are leaving with the decisions that we make today? And if we thought more about that... Uh, how would that shape our decisions differently? And a really stark example for us in the city of Melbourne as we really strive for net zero by 2040 uh, is that 60, apart from transport, which we'll talk about in a minute, 60% of our emissions come from existing commercial buildings that have been built and developed and are being used uh, in a way that does not support. In fact, of course, it's it's eroding our ability to adapt and address and respond to climate change. And those were decisions we made then that make it much more difficult for us to respond now. And I think if we have some more uh, of those discussions, debates, and really that thinking, uh, then we're going to make better decisions. And I did say that was the last thing. But I can just tell you from the discussions around town, that for us to bring people back into city workplaces from those homes, we need to make sure that our workplaces, that our public realm environments, uh, that the experiences that people have are so compelling that it moves you outside your home onto public transport and into the city. And that is a major challenge for now. And that's an expectation and a demand that we're already seeing across our workplaces. Terrific. Sally, if we need to, um, how does this work? Do you go to the office and you have your people and do you say, okay, we're going to work on how do we create more mixed use in the city? Do you, do you have your team of people? If you want to oh, put I've it in your peeps. agenda. Those peeps, peeps have got peeps. Uh, yeah. We've got lots of peeps. We've got so many dedicated people uh, looking at how do we, within an existing planning scheme, within existing rules, uh, how do you balance out those conversations uh, and how do we create reform? But importantly, I think, how do we create the, the right sorts of conversations and joint goals and ambitions so that what comes to us encapsulates more of that without even needing mm. the rules. Yep. That's, I think, part of what we can do as citizens. That's, that's great. And do you put this agenda and then put two to three months next to it? Or I thought it you said it was it. now. Oh, I, I love the word now. Yes. It's now. I know. Uh, well, yes. When my mum says now, she means now, whereas for me it's five months, but that's, that's different. Yeah. But that's part of the problem in a way. Like, I hear that word emergency used a lot and yep. that fucks me up. That really uh, irritates me. That's very good, yeah. And, you know, um, my partner actually works as a social worker in mental health in Melbourne Hospital in emergency. Yeah. And then when they use the word emergency, it doesn't it's mean, oh, yeah. someone's coming in with no arms and no legs, we'll deal with them in 2040. Yeah. You know, um, it's sort of, this is actually emergency. And if we don't mm. take that seriously, the idea of emergency is to get people to act as though it is 
your house is on fire or you have no arms and legs. And yeah. that 60% you mentioned yeah. of, you know, existing buildings, they're wholly unregulated. Yeah. They can use as much energy as they like mm. and emit as much greenhouse gases uh, as they as wish they to. Yeah. And how are we going to, you know, uh, deal with that? Yeah. And I often think... Sorry, you didn't ask me a question. I've just, I've just woken up. I told um, you Stephen's on fire. Yeah. But I think... Every time I make a choice, uh, how did I get here today, public transport, that I could have driven, but I chose not to. Um, the office I choose to work in, I would choose the one that's better. You know, when I go to the shop, what can I choose to buy off the shelf? Every single one of those makes every single bit of difference and every single person here can do that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a collective decision making, isn't it? Yeah, anyway. Um, Stephen, I'm going to start. Um, you led the development of Burwood Brickwood, one of the most sustainable shopping centres in the world out here. Um, what was the drive behind behind this? Mostly it was um, sort of fun, but the... Um, How do you get to that? We actually had, instead of meeting in the office, yeah. we would come here or we'd go into the city and sit by a green wall or go down a laneway and we, we'd have meetings not in the office because... You have to change the way you approach the work to get a different result. And um, I think about here, this is just an amazing meeting place. Like, I will have my meetings in here. I, my favourite thing is probably like the CCTV strapped onto those two things. Um, <laughs> That's a Zoom meeting for Stephen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's Go on. It's an amazing meeting. Room, yeah. <laughs> but if you, you look at a project like that, um, and many people have heard me talk about this, you know, you talk about the S word, which I hate. Right? Yeah, sorry. No, yeah. it's fine. Like I've told you this before, but you keep bringing it up. I'm so sorry, I'll... man. No, but like... It... I know, I can spell it now, <laughs> so of course I'm going to use it. Anyway, go on. You know, but we've talked about, you know, the climate <laughs> is changing. Like the, the earth is warming. Like species are going extinct. Biodiversity is collapsing. Like there's air pollution problems, bushfires, water quality issues. And every single damn building we build makes all of those problems worse. That's yeah. the truth. And the thing about the Brickworks project was, can we do something that not only doesn't make the problems worse, but can start to restore and reverse some of these trends. And that's what we actually need to do in every new building and deal with the existing ones, right? Yeah. And when you started that project, did you have your wish list and did you constantly push that wish list? A lot of the time... Did you make some enemies? Oh, Are people crying right now? People, else? yeah. Yeah. You basically annoy different people along different parts of the process, right? Yeah. So it starts with council. Yeah. Um, Where are they now? They're no longer working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's done. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Um, there's a supermarket in that building and we wanted to bring skylights down through the roof so that everyone standing at a cash register could... The number one question that the staff kept asking in the other stores was, what's it like outside? That's oh. the number one question. If you've ever worked in the supermarket, you'll probably know that yeah. question. Yeah. And the council said, no, you can't have, you know, sky skylights mm. in the store. It will damage all the food. Mm. Um, so we did it anyway. We've got these solar tubes just punching through, right? Mm. Three years later, and that was on my wish list, three years later, the council came and uh, health officer was like, what's this? And I said, it's LED lighting. It's just circular LED lighting. <laughs> um, and... They said, is it dimmable? <laughs> I was like, 
in three hours it will be <laughs> dimple. Um, but no, but then after the inspection, it was about a two and a half hour long inspection, I said, look, to be honest, these are, uh, we know we did not get planning permission to do this. Th these are actually skylights. And they said, oh yeah, they're, they're really good. We should do this more often. And so look at that. yeah. that's what I mean about setting a precedent. But when you do that, um, it does cost money. It does take time. You do take risks and you can have fun doing all of those things. And yeah. I think that's, that's really the driver behind a lot of those things. Yeah. That's one little example. That's a great example. So I guess that sets precedent. You don't know who you're going to get. And I love the whole dimmable in three hours. It's very good. Um, okay. Um, Sally, you've been involved in um, a new normal. Who here knows about the new normal? Clap so I can, yeah, there we go. Oh, I think everyone does. Okay. Um, which is also about building prototypes to create broader, broader change. Tell us more about this project. Well, change is hard, Steve. It is, I know. And you do feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall and it doesn't seem rational or logical, but we need change agents, so keep going. Mm -hmm. And we do need to use words like emergency. We've we declared a climate and biodiversity emergency in 2019 and it's refocused and reshaped a lot of our investments in our work. So it does make a difference. And even if they're only ripples, they're worthwhile. That's how I look at it because it can be so tough uh, to be a change agent. But as you said, we all need to be that way. A new normal is about change. It's a project that I'm talking about even though it's the team at Hassel, it's the team at Grimshaw, Grimshaw it's the team at Fender Catsalides. It's a group of organisations brought together by Ross Harding. If you haven't ever seen or heard Ross speak before, you must. He is awesome and he is a wonderful leader and change agent. And he has rallied all of these organisations to come together and identify and produce and demonstrate projects that can happen now. Uh, a bit like the 2040 movie, all those things were now, things we can do now to create change. Uh, about $100 billion worth of infrastructure that can move us towards net zero more quickly. Uh, we've done a project where we demonstrate those. Um, Ross has now got lots of projects happening uh, across the city, across Victoria. Um, two really stand out to me. One is the electrification of transport. Uh, and for us, we're now 76, we've cut 76% of our carbon emissions as an organisation and we've got electrification of transport and electrification of a couple of buildings still to go uh, and we will get there. But of course, as an organisation, that's one thing, but our impact on our municipality in terms of emissions is absolutely tiny. So it is about the leadership, it is about delivering, it is about being a partner and it is about influencing uh, to create change. So electrification of transport for our fleet will make a difference, but really across the city. And of course, now we're seeing more movement on EV and EV charging, EV vehicles, uh, and really encouraging more of all of that, particularly for commercial fleets. Uh, and for example, looking at the way that we can electrify our garbage trucks, which will be fantastic, collecting waste at 2am 
Uh, as we pointed out, uh, we won't hear the truck, but we'll still hear those, hear those bottles rattling as they hit uh, the truck. Uh, but, but that's all good. So that's electrification uh, and a big part of what Ross is doing. And I think one of the great things is you can still have all of those old cars that you love because he's got a project where you can put an electric engine into those old muscle cars that you love and still cruise around in them. I'm going down a rabbit hole. The other one that, of course, is uh, important is about our existing buildings. And he's got a project that is about retrofitting uh, solar uh, cladding to buildings. Now, we've got a big cladding issue anyway because we've got to replace a whole lot of it because of flammable issues. And imagine if we could replace it on those existing buildings with cladding that actually means that we're producing energy rather than using energy. Uh, that is a major uh, project and ambition for us. And it's why a pilot project for us next year is called Power Melbourne, which is bringing community scale batteries about the size of a container uh, across our city into a network so that we can store renewable energy. We can smooth out those peaks in terms of usage. So we're getting maximum efficiency uh, and we can convert more people into using it. But we've also got very demonstrable ways in which people can, not people, buildings and organisations can generate more renewable energy and see it stored and used. Lots of research, lots of learning, uh, lots of new jobs uh, and a great way of us really building more independent renewable energy networks across the city and more possible through projects like New Normal. So there are a couple of examples, but Ross has got a plethora of them and we should all get on board. I think so, yeah. Sally Cart for Mayor, from now on. <laughs> yeah, but um, this New Normal next year, so I think it's a, you know, a annual thing. So please um, get involved, I suppose, yes. But um, uh, yes, Ross did tell me about e-Grand Prix, so... Yeah, it's happening. Okay, here we go. Um, so, Emma, um, both in your role at Open House and now with Assembled Communities, you are engaged with the interface between urban development and the broader community. How do you feel we can better empower citizens in the planning, design and governance of our city? Just a small question. Time, Tava, thank yeah. you. <laughs> Um, well, I, I should acknowledge the, the team of Open House who are here tonight. I've just spied them in the crowd. So it's an organisation that never lets you go. You try and leave, never lets you go. So now I'm on the board and, and a very proud board member. Um, but I think that organisations like M Pavilion and Open House um, are already doing some extraordinary work in engaging citizens in really critical conversations. Um, so simply, there's you know just more support that we can provide to organisations like like these two. But there is already a, also a long history of how these two organisations and others partner with the likes of City of Melbourne to to really amplify and and, and reach a broader uh, audience that perhaps the city may not through the standard consultation process. So I think that amplification is is critical. So you know it's probably a little. Um, you know, a, a bit too close to my own agenda to say, give them more support, give them more money, City of Melbourne, but I'll just, I'll put that there. Um, but I also think what these organisations can do is support others like um, Citizens of Melbourne. So Tanya Davich here, who ran the campaign around the Apple and Fed Square um, move. And I think that campaign still to this day demonstrates how 
um, as a collective, uh, individuals uh, and, and citizens of the city can actually affect change if you disagree with it with the decision. And also, I think make. Um, critical city issues more public when perhaps they've fl flown under the radar, whether that be on purpose or whether that be um, not on purpose, but we, we, we have our suspicions. Um, so I, so I, I think it's, it is really around how do, how do we ensure that citizens understand the role that they play and that actually it's really critical that everybody gets involved in, in city decision making. Um, but I mentioned it before, I think it's also about giving them the confidence or reassuring them that actually their thoughts and decisions um, matter and that they will be listened to. Um, and I think a part of that is ensuring that they get all of the information and f there is a way of disseminating information to people, the entire story, um, not just um, elements of, say, a development proposal or not elements of a, a new master plan, but actually the full picture so they can make an informed decision. Um, and something I've, I've been kind of grappling with recently now that I've moved on, on, onto the dark side, which is, you know, housing development from public advocacy. Um, so normally uh, an industry that has a lens of suspicion applied across it um, as the first port of call. What, something I've been grappling with is how... Um, for residents who or, or neighbours who are resistant to change, um, change in the neighbourhood, change in their backyard, that they actually don't have access to all of the information about the development cycle. And I think if if we can find a way to um, give uh, people the information so they're better informed and not to sway decision-making, but actually to allow them to have the complete picture and to really understand how change is inevitable, but how can you advocate for better outcomes? How can you um, pay attention so you're getting um, more sort of social impact or environmental um, contribution through development? Um, I think that's the sort of missing piece of the puzzle that I've been grappling with. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't okay. worked it out, but I think that's like it is a big, it is a big challenge. We've been talking a lot about it in the office around, um, uh, say, land value and um, land ownership, and that the, the the kind of intent that is set when somebody sells a piece of land and how actually they are they contribute to what is built on site five, seven, ten years later, and I think. You know, when people are living in an env in a, in a neighbourhood or a suburb that they've lived in for thirty years and they mm. know their neighbours and they know the person who owns the warehouse beside them, what what I think a lot of people um, sort of fail to recognise is that actually it's that that transaction that triggers really a lot of what is kind of built um, after sort of five five to seven years. Yeah. So. You know, it's I'm not I'm not sure how you solve that, but I think people are understanding that it is a it is a real cycle, um, and it is perhaps about kind of early engagement in that in that cycle, which can generate better results. And that's great. That's on your table right now when you ponder about it and and um, you know send out the green smoke when you've gotten. Answer, I suppose. <laughs> yes, I will. Okay. <laughs> um, very quickly, because we have some questions, and I just thought I'll end with: if you have one thing to suggest to everyone today, that everyone here could start doing tomorrow to make our cities more equitable and regenerative, what would it be? Um, I'll start with Emma. 
Uh, I, there's a few. I've got a few. So, um, but uh, uh, one okay. is actually, so resistance to regeneration, you know, is something that has been a focus in my career for a, a number of years. And actually, I now frame it around resistance and regeneration because I think... Um, yep. We do want to take a positive lens. So I think um, I've been thinking a lot about resistance to social housing and how there is still sort of a a view around um, social housing being problematic when it is in perhaps your suburb or your neighbourhood. And we haven't yet... um, quite solved the, the the challenge of how we humanise social housing and how we talk about the impact that social housing has on on the person who's just moved to Australia, on the person who needs a helping hand, on mm. the person who's perhaps fleeing a domestic situation. Mm. We tend to talk about it as um, built form, as, as, as product. Um, and I think that sort of resistance of the traditional notion of social housing or public housing is... is is continues to be problematic. Mm. So I guess if I was to put something out there, it would be don't just resist, understand, really learn about, say, a project that might be built in, in your neighbourhood. Um, and, uh, you know, it, sometimes it is that resistance is around the built form and yeah. poor built form, so mm. I recognise that. But I think in terms of use and impact, um, we really want citizens of Melbourne to, to understand how there's a huge crisis and a deficit mm. and we need public support. Yeah. And do we just get in touch with them and... Tell them what we think. Yeah. So I've got lots to say. Yeah. <laughs> lots of opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think Tanya's got a lot to say. There's no Tanya David just in the crowd today. So there we go. She's got lots to say all the time. Yeah. There we go. Um, uh, to you, Stephen. Yes. You weren't paying attention. No, I can I was, tell from I your was, eyes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of it's to do with how these developments are communicated to people because yeah. often I'll receive something and I'll go, damn, you need to be an architect to read this. And yeah. then two years later, I'm at, I'm at VCAT going, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the worst possible fucking experience of my life because it's just the people's court and it's just... Yeah. Anyone here been to VCAT or experienced it? Keep your hand up if you enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, like a needing noose. to happen, yes. yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, I digress. Uh, things that... Um, Everyone can do walk more because you bump into people and you can talk to them. Um, change your super. Easy thing to do. Very good. Big impact. Yep. Um, change your energy bills to, you know, something else. Probably not power shop, though. Yeah. It turns out that didn't Steve, work. it's a three-point man. Yeah. So I've got another one. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> have I done... How many have I done? That's all right. I'll give you one. Bonus. One more. Yeah, one more. One more thing that yeah. everyone could do. You've got it in Smile you. more. Nice. We love Stephen Choi. Yeah, okay. Uh, Your Highness. Yeah. Oh. Who? Excellency. So many things that uh, we could do now. I'll do two. Uh, One is to be curious because I have found through this experience that we make a lot of judgments and assumptions. We accept the status quo. And I think asking more questions and being curious. And let's face it, that's why we're all here tonight because we're curious and uh, we get to be involved in these forums, but we need to do more of it, challenge things. It's so good. Challenge to improve, I say. Um, The other thing is very practical, waste. 
We yeah. should all take more responsibility for our waste. Yeah. Uh, we're getting lobbied for waste to energy projects uh, and uh, very innovative, creative ways of dealing with waste. We actually need to reduce the amount of waste. Uh, and I love the fact that we've had more people than ever before using our parks mm. over this pandemic pandemic period. Yeah. It's been fantastic. We've had to double the number of bins in our parks. We've had to double the amount of services right. to collect waste from our parks. And it would be wonderful if we all thought more about waste. That would be the best way we can reduce waste to landfill. And it's really one of the easiest things we can do. Mm. We had a group of uh, students here from Tokyo a couple of years ago when we could do that sort of stuff. And uh, I asked them what was one of the great things that they loved about Melbourne and they said, you've got bins. Yes. You've got rubbish bins in public. And yeah. I said, what do you mean? And then it occurred to me, Tokyo is so clean. Yeah. They don't have public bins because you are responsible for your own oh, waste. Right. Take yes. it home and do something with it or buy things that don't need waste or make it from home and don't create waste. And uh, I really think we could make an enormous difference in our city if we thought more about waste. So that's my yeah. one. So on that, I, I think, you know, children in school should learn more about waste because they would go and badger their parents to the very end and, and then that would be the water cooler conversation. I, I think that's how you do it. Um, so should we, should we take two questions? Okay, okay, Tava spoke too much. Yeah, Catherine's giving me the eye. Okay, um, th this is for Sally. Sally, what is the role of citizen activism to support you doing the best for your city? We are here to offer you a service. <laughs> we That's are here to serve you. Overwhelmingly fabulous. Uh, the best thing to do is to get involved. I think we've touched on it. Uh, it's. It's hard to get involved in these conversations and issues. We're so busy with our day-to-day -day and one of the things I've come to respect more and that we want to encourage more is for people to get involved. Uh, again, I'm preaching to the converted because you're all here tonight, uh, but getting involved in our activities, our teams here that do a lot of our community engagement, and um, we run a lot of workshops, we've got a Participate Melbourne page, we've got submissions that can be made uh, to our meetings, uh, lots of committees to get involved in, and that's just us. And again, it's something that's over and above what you're already doing day to day, whether it's with the City of Melbourne or other organisations, I think people really activating, getting involved, asking lots of questions and working together towards it. It can be scary change as well. Uh, so really supporting each other towards uh, those changes and those outcomes we want is important. I would say how we receive information is, is critical because some of those planning applications that come in are 292 pages. Mm. And I'm a lawyer, I should love that stuff. But I remember doing a prospectus years ago when we had to all of a sudden add a lot of information into uh, equity raisings, I'm getting too technical. And all of a sudden they went from 20 documents, so sorry, 20 pages to 200 pages. And I purposefully put on page 172 that if you are reading this sentence, call me immediately on this line and I'm giving you a magnum of champagne. How many calls do you think I got? <laughs> Zero. Because yes. nobody made it to, to that, that page. page 
overload and too much is not the answer. It actually has to be information delivered in a way that people can understand and respond to. That's actually important. What's your email address, Sally? It's on the website. There we go. <laughs> go to the website. Yeah. Um, okay. This is the last question. How? Really? Oh, okay. Um, how can government lead on a diverse and inclusive city? And what is the 2021 version of postcode 3000? Well, one thing that, um, I, it's a tiny thing, but this really annoys me. As, when it sorry. comes from you to big things, Stephen, yeah, let it out. We always talk about diversity and inclusion, and it's definitely the other way around, because you can do the inclusion bit without the diversity. Okay. But you can't do it the other way around, and we always talk about diversity and inclusion, right? Yeah. And it's a small, subtle thing, but if we think of it in that way, we're looking for diversity and diversity, diversity, but inclusion has to come first as the foundation, right? You're not following, are you? No. Uh, Give me an example. Help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's, it's like, answer like I'm a three-year-old, yeah. <laughs> What's the difference between diversity and inclusion? Hey, I'm the one supposed to be asking questions. What the? <laughs> That's why I accepted this gig. Explain a different way. Everybody yeah. needs to be invited in. And then and, and from, from that, diversity flows. So it's... It, 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 <laughs> but, and, that, and that's the discussion that we're having tonight too. It is, right. it is really about inviting everybody in to participate and make sure that people feel valued and their, their opinions and, and input is valued. So, Did we feel that today? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds... That's, that's fantastic. I moved from postcode 3000 to 3068. That's North Fitzroy. It's a big, big move, yes. And I have to say, when I first moved to uh, North Fitzroy, I thought I was just surrounded by white people. And I felt as though people were asking me to be part of um, clubs. I <laughs> This is, you know, they said, oh, would you like to be part of clubs? And I said, it's because I'm brown, aren't I? Yeah. But it turned out not really because they were curious. And, and now I am just have become incredibly busy because, because of this. Um, people are just so eager to, to learn about you. And so um, I think I'm going to take a while to move back to 3000 because I've met some friends. We've got clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have to give them a good run before I come back to 3000 Athenaeum. But I think, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. So I found my peeps. As Brianna over there. She's, she's, she's three houses down, so it's very exciting. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think I'm going to finish it with um, a thank you to M Pavilion and Urban Design Forum for hosting this event. So if you'd like to know more about Urban Design Forum, follow them on Instagram and LinkedIn. And they will be hosting their next event for Melbourne Design Week in March, where they'll be working with Collingwood College and Student Curriculum in a series of neighbourhood-led planning workshops. 
the event is titled Do It Yourself Neighbourhood. So be ready for that. Sign up and um, pay your membership. More the better. And um, thank you all for, for being here. And uh, a, a big thank you to our panellists, Emma Telfer, Stephen Choi, and Her Excellency, Sally Kapp. And also to the management of the Urban Design Forum for putting this together. Thank you. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you.